only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading Now we're doing something a bit different in these few weeks because we've really studied verses 12 through 14. But the whole idea of presenting yourself as an instrument of righteousness, the whole idea of continuing obedience to God, we're kind of moving into that, resting on that for a while uh, to try to get the nuts and bolts of it a a bit better. Uh, This has been due to some feedback I've received on just the need for it and had good feedback from uh, starting to do this. So we're continuing this morning. Uh, If you have the study sheet, you'll see the uh, subtitle, Sustaining Your Energy and Desire for Obedience. So we're talking about motivation today. Uh, The first point, stay in joyful awe. And then the second one we get to uh, uh, next week is uh, to to stay determined in your obedience uh, to the Lord. So um, today we're we're, we're hoping to open up some this idea of joyful awe. Let's look then on page 943, uh, Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Lord, as we look into this area of our lives, a holistic uh, look uh, or at an area that is it involves everything we think and say and do, this area of obedience, this area of presenting ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness and not presenting ourselves to sin as instruments uh, for sin and death. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace. Uh, Open up your word to us. Make us see more of your glory. Draw us into awe. Fulfill your promise that you would put awe and fear and joy in our hearts And you would show your glory to us. Oh, bless us, Lord, and shew us down the path of Christ-likeness. For Jesus' glory we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I say here then in the first point, which is, we'll have three sub-points under this, but the first point, and then next week is our second point, okay? You don't ever say number one without saying number two, but we'll wait till next week to say number two. But notice, uh, I've invented a word. We have that word. uh, I've been reading a little bit in National Geographic about Greenland and the edges of the glacier that sits on top of Greenland. Uh, 
going away just a bit. It's got a ways to go because in the middle of that a glacier, is it's two miles thick with ice. Just imagine, two miles, 10,000 feet of ice. Uh, it has actually one-seventh or 7% of the world's water, fresh water, is in that glacier. And if it melts, uh, the seas will rise 24 feet. It's a lot of ice. Now, what they're talking about, though, is in the thawing, some of what used to be permafrost, you know, ground that is permanently frozen, is not permanently frozen anymore. And so from that word permafrost, I've coined the word perma-all, okay? <laughs> but uh, to try to get at that idea that awe is to fill our lives and to color our lives and to sweeten our lives, to be the aroma of our lives, the backdrop to everything we do, the substance of our life is this joyful awe, a life of worship, a life of adoration, a life that has, and this has to be the heart of any life that will be given up to God as an instrument of righteousness. It's not just a decision. It's not just, you know, clicking something here or there. It, it, it has to do with the transformation of my heart and attitude toward God himself. So that I'm in a, in a consistent amazement over God and his greatness and his grace. And this must fuel my obedience. So... In one sense, it's the most wonderful thing in the world to think about and talk about. A life that's taken up with more and more of the richness of this glory and gratitude and worship and praise. On the other hand, it's so difficult to maintain this, to grow this. So, we want to look into it some. Joyful awe, then, as we say here, is commanded and must be constantly cultivated. And you might ask yourself, am I consistently, purposely cultivating this joy and this praise and this awe in my life? Am I growing in this? There really will be no growth in obedience without growth in this kind of praise and awe. So you see the, the uh, commands. And I've, I, this is a pretty thick two pages, and obviously it's, to be a, it's a take-home you know, for you to use this for many days to come, to work through these passages, to pray through these passages, to pray God to put them into your life. But you see these commands that are, we're familiar with. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The emphasis there. Ephesians 5, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. The same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5 there. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what God wants from you, this life that is given up to Him. And so the psalmist promises, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And then the final command there in Psalm 113, that verse 2, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, 
the name of the Lord is to be praised. Now, of course, this, this entails a life in which you've got full responsibilities. You work a full week, either earning a living or taking care of a house or whatever it is that you do. And these are responsibilities that God gives you. And so you can't be literally only praising God as we are doing in this hour all week long. But this doesn't allow for us to dismiss this. It must provide the foundation, the atmosphere, the kind of attitude that suffuses everything that we do, that energizes our life so that we are living out this kind of awe and praise and joy in God. Now, as wonderful as praise is, it must be cultivated. I looked a little bit into blueberries. We got a big uh, container of blueberries this week and uh, just, you know, popping them left and right. We've got raspberries and blackberries. I'm just going crazy with berries. I love them. But uh, just, just glancing at getting blueberry bushes means soil preparation and fertilizing before you plant them. The careful planting, how and where and, and, and what season and how you space them further fertilizing after planting, and then in the following years, there's mulching, weed control, watering, first season special care, careful pruning, protecting against pests and diseases, and then the bushes don't mature until they're eight years old. Okay. Blueberries don't just happen. Okay. And a life of joyful awe does not just happen. And with all the things that are against blueberries, you think there wouldn't be any. But, you know, every time I go in the grocery store, there's some blueberries. Because somebody's been diligent and careful to grow them. And you and I must be diligent and careful to grow this sweet fruit of praise and joy and awe in our lives. You are made for praise. You are, you are made for this. You flourish and expand as a human being under the steady nourishment of praise and awe. You become whole and fully human the more you live in adoration. It is the great privilege to live your life in the praise of God. To bring every aspect of your life, every event in your life, every relationship and responsibility and pleasure into the Grand Canyon of the praise of God. Now, I've tubed a river in South Texas, and I've also rafted in the mountains of the Rockies. There's a little bit of difference in the two. (laughs) Would you rather be camping in Mesquite, Texas at 105 degrees or what we saw as we were rafting this river in Colorado, this camper lodge right on the edge of the river in the midst of trees, 72 degrees. And I'm saying, lodge yourself in the mountains of the praise of God and don't go outside those mountains. Be refreshed in the glory of God. But you and I must cultivate this. As I've got here just a few things, and we can only touch on these things, obviously. But cultivate joyful awe through an active, what I'm calling an active and purposeful adoration. In other words, at least begin here where you will study some aspect of God's glory and you enter into praise purposefully. 
on a daily basis. You know, I won't show, uh, have a show of hands, but for five minutes every day, do you have concentrated adoration? Either on the, the, the love of God in Christ, the glory of His salvation, His creation, some aspect of the glory of God. And then a further question, do you enter into adoration to the point that your heart gets engaged and you get emotional? Do you ever are just sitting alone and just go, Oh, Lord, you're so glorious. You're so wonderful. Or driving down the street or walking somewhere thinking just, just it overcomes you how great the Lord is. That shouldn't be a rare event for us as believers. That should be a regular event for us. We get, we know how terrible it is to hear somebody, well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you know, and just seem to say it all the time in every context. And, and then you watch their life and you think, I'm not so sure you're really living a life of praise to the Lord. So we're not talking about a, a shallow, uh, sometimes just foolish mouthing of this word all the time, but cultivating a real heart attitude of worship and praise. And so, of course, the centerpiece, the, the essence of this comes in our relationship to God through Jesus Christ and what Christ has accomplished in his death and his life and death and resurrection, his ascension and uh, to the right hand of God and, and his rule over all things. And some of these passages speak of the revelation of that love to us and that Jesus Christ is the glory of God made manifest to us, as John says in chapter 1. He says he's the exposition of the Father. He's the very explanation of the Father. It's like this huge diamond ring that you see up on the shelf. And you say, can I look at that ring? And they bring the ring down and you actually handle it and feel it and put it on your finger. That's what God has done in Jesus Christ. Made his glory come close to us, near to us, so that we can lay hold of the glory and beauty of God in Christ. Paul calls preaching the gospel in Ephesians 3.8 the preaching of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that's what every day for you and me is part of our quest, O Lord, in the Word as we go to it. Lord, open up the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ to me. And then these next, the next set of passages just talk about the greatness of His salvation. We won't take time, but he, they're, they're available for you. And many of them, like Ephesians 1, it's, dis, it's describing His salvation, but it's a doxological description. It keeps talking, it begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole thing already is praise as He enters into the greatness of God's salvation. We talk about the Olympic flame, and you know, here's a good word, the salvific flame, you know, the, the flame of God's salvation that burns in your heart joyfully uh, as you rejoice in His grace and His great salvation. Well, these are beginning passages to read, to pray through them verse by verse and thank God and enter into the praise of those things. 
And the same thing with the next section on creation. A whole psalm, Psalm 104, uh, and these other psalms as well, speaking of His creation. So I simply leave you with that, that this kind of praise is commanded and must be constantly cultivated. And there's nothing richer, there's nothing that will change your relationship with others, there's nothing that will change your attitude to every responsibility than living out this praise and joy in your life. Grow the blueberries. (laughs) Grow the blueberries. B, then, joyful awe is life, as it's described in Scripture, and your enemy knows it very well, and he will oppose it. Now, I want to draw this uh, connection between what I've called joyful awe and what we read in Scripture as the fear of the Lord. We tend to think of the fear of the Lord as more negative than it is. But I think it could be described in this way as joyful awe. Now, these passages right below there uh, will show how it is not the fear of the Lord is not something that causes you to run away from God, but to draw near to Him. Notice those two Psalms, 33 and 147, say basically the same thing. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. Well, those are synonymous things. To fear Him is to hope in His steadfast love. So fear is a joyful awe, entrusting yourself to God. And when we talk about presenting yourself as a instrument of righteousness, it has to be in this context of this joyful giving yourself up to this God whom you're convinced uh, of His steadfast love. And notice in Psalm 118, the interplay, let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. You see, they live in the fear of God. And what do they say? Oh, His steadfast love endures forever. They're not running from God. They're drawing near to Him. This fear is a joyful awe, a joyful honor and praise to God. And in fact, brings about on their side the lack of fear for the things around them. Verse 6. So this precious, trusting fear of God, this, this honor to Him, this joyful awe, means that I'm not scared of anything else because I'm confident in what God will do for me. And so the next section talks about how this fear is planted in our hearts. And and we talked about this last week, but notice Psalm 130. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That seems weird to us. Wait, forgiveness? Fear? But you have to understand the biblical meaning of the word fear. And it's born through understanding forgiveness. Being in wonder and awe that God would forgive me, that He could forgive me, that He does forgive me, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. This causes me to give myself up to Him. It, it causes to be born in my heart an, an awe, precious, joyful awe. And the same thing with Psalm 40, as he recounts his salvation, <clears throat> that in verse 2, He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, they see the salvation of this man who cried out to God 
And it causes them to fear God and to trust Him. Not to run from Him. It's, not, it's certainly not saying many will fear and run from God, you know, after they hear about how I was rescued. No, this fear is such a positive thing. It's that by which we draw near to Him. We're so in awe of Him, we can't resist Him, you see. We're so amazed at Him. We're like, okay, I'm done with everything else. There's nothing that can withstand the glory and beauty of this God. I want Him above anything else. That's the beauty of fear of this sort. Nothing else matters but Him and His will. More and more and more in my life as I grow in this joyful fear. And then no surprise that as Proverbs lays it out in that next section... This is by which I turn away from sin. If God is filling my heart and I'm in awe of His will and His glory and His salvation in Christ, then I'll have less and less to do with sin. And so it says in Proverbs 14, 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Ah, how glorious. Talk about wanting to cultivate something in your life. This fountain of life. That enables you to turn away from the snares of death. Oh Lord, give me this fear. Give me this awe. Fill my horizon with yourself and your beauty and your glory. So that sin no longer or less and less and less has a hold on my heart. That's the way God makes us holy. And so... As notice Proverbs 8, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Proverbs 16, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. No wonder, he says, continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. There's that perma-awe again, okay? All the day in every part of your life. And so Paul, the same thing when he talks in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Notice Based on promises that have come right before, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion, what? In the fear of God. But it's based on promises. Based on the rich promises of himself. Because in those verses before, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Based on those promises, we walk in awe of him and we become more and more holy. Or Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear. How am I going to grow in grace and grow in salvation? I do it by becoming more and more in awe of God. And even in our submitting to one another, our serving one another, our spending ourselves for one another, it's done by the fear of Christ. By the awe we have over Jesus Christ and how he humbled himself and gave himself for us. And we're in awe of what he did. And so we, in that awe, give ourselves to one another humbly. And how wonderful that he promises in the new covenant, Jeremiah 32, to do us good. He, 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 you'll see the italicized uh, parts Over and over, he says, I'm going to do them good. I'll rejoice over to do them good. I won't turn away from doing them good. And what does he do us good? I'll put my fear in their hearts. He could do us no more good than that. To fix our hearts more and more so that we are in awe of him. And nothing else matters but to give ourselves up to him. 
Thanks be to God that He does it by His power. It's a miracle that it happens, you understand. He has to save us to make us fear Him in this way. It's not something we can just generate. Yes, we'll use the means of grace and we're seeking to cultivate it in our lives because we're commanded to do so. But ultimately, we come to Him and say, Oh Lord, bring it about. And so the prayer in Psalm 86, in that next section Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. There's your prayer. Okay? There's a prayer for the whole congregation. Let's read that together. Unite my heart to fear your name. Let's read it together again. Unite my heart to fear your name. Now, I felt like everybody was reading with me. Okay? And then notice, I've I've put these next two Uh, Psalm 119 and 19 together because they focus on the Word of God. How he prays, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. And then you'll notice in the description of the law in Psalm 19, he describes it by six different words. And in verse 9, one of the words is fear. Interesting. He calls this Bible the fear of the Lord because it reveals the glory of God. And as you spin yourself into this word and and ask the Lord to open your eyes to behold wonderful things, He is the wonderful one that will be displayed to you again and again. And the fear of the Lord will grow in your heart as you give yourself to this word that's actually called the fear of the Lord. And the enemy, of course, is out to stop this at any cost as I have the passage there. And here is, interestingly, the work of the enemy when the gospel, which is called here the gospel of the glory of Christ. You want to know what the gospel is? It's the gospel that sets forth the glory of Christ. That's what it is. Or as Paul says, I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So it's the unveiling of this beauty and glory of Christ. That's what the good news is. Who he is, what he has done. And in that, this passage, he's called the image of God. So as you see Christ unveil this glory, then you will see the glory of God because he is the image of God. But notice what Satan does. He says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's who he's calling Satan. The world here is the world of unbelievers and the world of rebellious people. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He blinds people to the awe of Christ. And I'd say to you that's one of his chief efforts and his chief work in any case is to try to dull you and me to the glory of Christ. And that's why it continues to be difficult. We continue to fight this battle. He seeks to hide it, to dim it, to cut you off from the satisfaction and strength and comfort and nourishment of it. He seeks to exploit your own past pain and suffering or present pain and suffering to that end. 
He's a developer in a sense. He likes nothing more than to develop an area of pain and hurt in your life, an area that's fortified by your own coping mechanisms over a period of maybe months or years in which you separate yourself from God or maybe you at that time did not know God. And you develop self-protection, you develop your own idols and false dependencies, and it is very difficult to see the glory of Christ. Of course, for any of us, it's a miracle to see the glory of Christ. But for many of us, these areas continue to plague us, and they're difficult. And that's why we struggle to really taste and to be comforted by the love of God in Christ. It's a fight to see His glory. And what he does to unbelievers, he seeks to do in our, way, in our minds as well. And so we have to, at that point, say, Oh, Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you put your fear and your awe in my heart. Thank you that you will heal me in these ways. And confess that to him. Confess how hard it is at times to see his love, to experience his love, uh, to taste that love. So many things are pitted against this precious fruit, but God will bring it forth in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, shalom. And finally, joyful awe is kept alive or is cultivated in community. Joyful awe is cultivated in community. Now you see in this passage, and... uh, Ephesians 3, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, and most any commentator would say, rooted and established in love for one another. So you're in community, you're in relationships of love to one another, may have power together with all the saints, you see, in union with saints, in fellowship with saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. But brothers and sisters, that's done in community. It's done in relationship to one another. It's done in interaction uh, with one another. We must constantly borrow each other's enthusiasm and energy for Christ. And perspective for Christ. To constantly hone our view of Christ. To catch the flavor of your excitement about Christ when I don't have it. How many times I've come to men's prayer in in the morning when we would have it and come dead. You know, just come not wanting to be there, honestly. And through the prayers of God's people, these men be stirred up. Stirred up to believe and to rejoice in Him. You and I incarnate and embody the gospel's life to one another in our feelings, in our expressions, in our actions, in our words. We bring gospel realities to bear in one another's lives. We manifest God's faithfulness to one another. We manifest God's forgiveness to one another. We manifest His steadfast love for one another. And we develop a mutual excitement and awe 
over him. That's why there in Hebrews 3, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You see, turning away from believing and trusting and rejoicing and giving myself up to him. I get to a point where he doesn't seem worth it. I don't see him. I don't feel him. I don't want him anymore. That's the sense here. An unbelieving heart. A heart that is, is dying on the vine. A heart that is reduced to no worship. But he says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And that's what sin would do. Deceive you into thinking that life is had somewhere other than in the presence of God. And in this, in this, he says, we're to hold firmly our confidence. You see, we help each other hold our confidence in Christ. Keep helping each other trust Him. Even when we fail, even when we, we fail miserably, to keep putting each other's hands back on Christ and His great work. And when we're accountable to each other, it helps our motivation, doesn't it? When you're meeting with somebody regularly, it just helps you to stay on track, just like jogging or exercising or anything else. And other people are amazing mirrors. We see things more clearly in relationship. Sometimes you see a sin for what it is only in relationship. And we're not stuck alone with our own distortions and justifications and our disorientation like an antelope, a little baby antelope running in the field by itself. That's what we can be. By ourselves. We're not made for that. From the beginning, God says, alone is not good. Okay? It's not good to be alone. We're not made for that. And by confessing and being in one another's lives, we break the power of hidden sin. And we've got to have the kind of atmosphere where we all are broken before God. We're all helpless before God. We're all clinging to the grace of Christ. We have no other hope but Him. So that we can be open with one another. And so joyful awe in Christ can be cultivated and kept alive in this community. May God give it. May God bring about. He has promised it in His covenant. How will He not do it? How will He not do it? as we more and more taste and feed upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we lift you up that you come after us, we whose hearts are so by nature withered, dried up and given to so many things that will not satisfy us, things for which we're not made ultimately. For as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, you have put eternity in our hearts. Lord, we are made for you. We are made for that wonder and that awe. We are made to eat a meal in the presence of God, and to eat that meal recognizing the God that made it and gave it to us. We, we are made for holding a granddaughter 
And it not just being the holding of that precious granddaughter, but the thanking of God for the whole idea of grandchildren, the whole idea of male and female, the whole idea of family which stems from your glory as the triune God. Oh, Lord, everything we do, everything we do soars into the beauty of God's creation and salvation. All couched in this hope that you are the Lord of history and it will finally issue in the new heavens and the new earth and even all the pain and struggle that we have in this world, the confusion and the tragedy and the death and the horror will all be removed in that final day and we will be made perfect in love and in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And so, Lord, we have a hope because of your salvation. May we be in awe of you. May we grow in it, Lord. May you fulfill your covenant. May you truly rejoice over us to do us good. Don't turn away from doing us good as you promised, Lord, and put your precious fear, your precious awe in our hearts. May we turn from all else. May we truly not present our bodies as instruments to sin as instruments for God, this glorious, awesome God who has given His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, bless us, Lord. Shew us down that happy path of joyful awe. Bring it about by Your great salvation as we give ourselves up to You. In precious name of Jesus, we pray. The pleasing scene is clouded over Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?